0: kick is live. It is Sunday night, January 9th, the year of our Lord, 2022. We are not in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm not in a white t-shirt for that matter, but we are in Indianapolis, Indiana, just across the street from Lucas Oil Stadium. That's where it all goes down tomorrow night, Alabama versus Jordan. We saw it a month ago in Atlanta. We see it again uh, about 24 hours from now in Indianapolis. It was like 60 degrees that night. It's going to be like minus 60 tomorrow night. That's fine, though. We've been treated very well up here. and We continue to be treated well. This entire venue actually secured by our friends here in Indianapolis just for us makes you feel kind of warm and special inside got a lot to talk about tonight as I tweeted out earlier today full Q&A we're gonna take uh, I don't know like 50 questions from you tonight there are so many different angles with which we could attack this game from you know the common ones not casual but the common angles that we've taken I'll hit some more odds and ends tonight some observations that we've had Uh, both in front of the camera and behind the scenes here in Indianapolis. And then we're just going to get ready and go to sleep, kind of like our Christmas Eve national championship tomorrow. So glad that you were joining us. Make sure you're following on all the social channels at Late Kick Josh. We're going to have a ton of coverage tomorrow, a ton of content tomorrow. As you know, usually the case when we get in these games, we got a lot of behind the scenes stuff for you that you normally don't get to see. So here's what I'm going to do. And for those of you who don't check out the Late Kick Extra podcast, This is a really good tease as to what that format is. All we do is wall-to-wall Q&A. Here's why that's a good idea, because it lets you drive the show. So I can't possibly screw anything up. It's all on you. All I've ever wanted, as I've told you before in life, is I just want the credit with none of the blame. That's all I've ever wanted, and I think it's uh, not too much to ask. So let's dive into the show tonight. Vance. Actually, no, Vance is not going to lead us (laughs) off. That was my mistake. Um, From Late Kick Commenter. Which, by the way, is a new Twitter account out there. I respect it. I'm all about the parody accounts. Some people would report you for gimmick infringement. This is not pro wrestling, so I'm not going to do that. But first up from Late Kit Commenter, if I had to bet on a padlock stat tomorrow night, what would that be? For those of you who are unfamiliar, the padlock stat is meant for this very setting. Here we are 24-some-odd hours away from a game. If there was one thing that you could tell us right now that would make it not even worth watching the game tomorrow night, we already know what the outcome is going to be, what would it be? I've said it for a month. I'll tell you one more time. It has nothing to do with Stetson Bennett. I just want to know that yards per carry average for Georgia. 3.6, that was the number last game. What are we looking at now? We're looking at something in the mid-fours. We're looking at something in the mid-fives. I can tell you if Georgia's over five yards per carry on the ground, I feel a whole lot better. I don't think that's a padlock in terms of definitively letting us know who wins that thing. Turnover margin, obviously, can mean a lot there. But I would feel very confident. I'll tell you this. If Pate State's betting money on this game, which we are in a prop fashion, which I'll talk about later, and you were to tell me, Georgia, 5.4 yards per carry, I'd feel very good about the Bulldogs tomorrow. Now, conversely, as you know, uh, we feel like there's been a little bit too much pressure, and not pressure, pressure's a privilege. There's been a little bit too much undue criticism on Stetson Bennett, and it's been in large part due to the fact that 3.6 yards per carry is not going to get it done. Bryce Young make no mistake, could win tomorrow night if Bama only runs 3.6 yards per carry. Georgia can't do that. So I'm looking at that. You give me that padlock stat. In lieu of being able to tell me actual turnover margin, if you tell me 5.8, 6.1 yards per carry, in other words, if Georgia's able to do on the ground what they did against the Michigan Wolverines, I'd feel very good about that. I'll tell you one more. If you could let me know, for that matter, Alabama's yards per carry. I don't know that it would tell me everything, but think back to the SEC championship game. You're watching Jamison Williams there if you're watching on YouTube right now. I think that is the lasting image because your memory of a football game works in snapshots and highlights. So you remember the big Jamison Williams play. I do too. It happened right in front of me. But I think what maybe you don't remember is when we went into that game, everyone's talking about two things. We're talking about Alabama not being able to run the ball. Therefore, they're talking about Bryce Young having to shoulder the entire load, whereas, remember how this goes? You know how this story ends? Stetson Bennett does not have to do that because Georgia does have the horses and they got the offensive line. Well, what did we end up seeing? We saw Alabama outrush Georgia. We saw Georgia throw the ball more times than Alabama, which is why this kind of thing, talking, it kind of gets old after a while because no one could have predicted that. No one expected that. So if you could let me know those two things, I would very much appreciate it. That's why the DMs are always open. Vance is up next. Do you think that recruits now value NIL money over a school's ability of winning a title when deciding which school to attend? This is a very, very pressing question right now. To be clear, Van is sort of, he's megaphoning an argument that a lot of people have been making. A lot of people are suggesting that we should expand the playoff, and we should expand the playoff because if players see more programs get in the college football playoff, That will broaden out recruiting. uh, That will level off, you know, sort of shave the top of the canopy, shave those redwood uh, giant cedars down, and all of a sudden you got a little more parity because you got a little bit more delusion in recruiting and more programs are benefiting because they went to the playoff. I think it's total BS. I don't think that's the way it will work at all. I think that because I talk to players, a lot of people are floating theories. I'm telling you. When we talk to them, none of them talk about making the playoff. They may, in the abstract, mention the opportunity to win a championship. None of them are talking about making the playoff. They're talking about being around the best coaching in the country. They're talking about premier facilities, and they're all really talking about development. That's what they want. They want to be developed. So in this alternate universe down the road, which is probably going to happen, wherein we have a 12th playoff. Does the, I'm just going to use a team of thin air, does the University of Iowa locking down a nine seed any given year, does that really give them a benefit over the University of Georgia that they otherwise wouldn't have had? I say no, absolutely not. I am telling you unequivocally, I think the NIL money is a whole lot more important. Now, you may not like that. I don't even particularly like it. I don't necessarily have to like the words coming out of my mouth to know they're true. The NIL factor probably five times more important than your ability to sneak in the back door of the playoff one year and then subsequently go into living rooms and say, hey man, we made the playoff. You know, you can make the playoff with us. That's great. Am I going to get developed? What kind of branding opportunities? What kind of marketability? What kind of profitability opportunities do I have? Those used to be the questions you asked once you left college. Now they're the questions you ask when you go to college. What a brave new world in whence we live. Uh, Question number three from our buddies at College Football Nerds. Much of Alabama's offensive struggles this year have been in loud road environments. How do you view this Bama offense in a setting that's going to be even less Georgia partisan than the SEC championship game was? This is a really good question. This isn't a a Major League Baseball season, I'll grant you that. So you don't have like a 162-game sample size. But even people who are just watching the regular college football season realized after a little while, Alabama was a different team on the road, especially places like Florida and places like uh, College Station. And then all the way towards the end of the year when they went to Auburn, then they were uh, at the beginning of the year in a dome setting against Miami or at the end of the season in the game that you're watching on YouTube right now in another same building dome setting against the University of Georgia. Well, what college football nerds here is asking is do we think it's a factor there? Because that SEC championship game, it was like 70-30 Georgia fans. So now you come up to Indianapolis, I honestly, I don't have a good feel on what the crowd split will be. I think there's a little more hunger on the Georgia side of things. I think the Georgia fan base probably has owned the market a little bit because Bama fans are seeing something they've seen in the last, well, several years, several times. Georgia fans are still seeking. So you have that dynamic. You certainly are not going to have a more partisan Georgia crowd in Lucas Oil Stadium than you did in Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Having said that, I don't, really, I don't really think that the crowd is a net benefit either way. Now, you could say that just out of principle, that is a net benefit for Alabama, simply that it's not a net benefit for Georgia. But, you know, think about, think about the Georgia pass rush game. It's very important to note this. Alabama has elite get off edge rushers. Will Anderson, Dallas Turner, both of those guys, I think, are better than anyone that Georgia's going to bring off the edge. Georgia gets pressure through manufacturing. A lot of times that means bringing guys from the linebacker position. What that means in relation to crowd noise is you're not really looking for your folks to crank it up to where, you know, I can have fill in the blank, get off the edge. That's good for Alabama. It's not really the way it's going to work for Georgia. So whether they get home or not, I don't really think will be contingent on how many decibels the georgia crowd's pumping in certainly won't hurt them just don't think it really plays a big part in this all right next up is uh, e king gill oh here we go so this question's juicy he says i've heard and this is a quote he says i've heard the quote power five is opinion but 12-0 and is fact you saw that famous poster being held up by a cincinnati fan this year he says as well as 13-0 and equals 13-0 and no matter the conference well, did Cincinnati's loss completely turn that on its face? What is a realistic pathway for G5 groups to work their way up? Is a G5 ship where the two teams move to power five afterwards realistic? So this is this is a very, very layered question. So let's unpack it one by one. The, the quote that he mentioned, power five is opinion, 12 and 0 is fact. What that is essentially saying is the same thing I would yell, full disclosure, if I'm a UCF fan, if I am a Cincinnati fan, I'd be on the front row. I'd be holding the poster up. So I get it. I get it. I get it. It is in the abstract. Uh, it's obviously what you're saying is that P5, that's just this label you guys made up. But what we're watching, our actual team winning actual football games, that's a fact. We can dispute what you're saying uh, because that's an illusion to us. But this 12-0, and that's a reality to everyone. I get that. There's obviously a lot more nuance to the argument. Like, for example, I would tell you, I watched the University of Arkansas this year lose four games, I believe, in the regular season. I'd probably favor them to go 11-1 and against Cincinnati's schedule. That's why one of the big lies to us on this show about college football is you are what your record says you are. Well, in some ways, that's factual. Yes, if you're 12-0, and you're 12-0, but as it relates to the grander scheme of the college football playoff picture and comparability across conferences, no. You are not simply what your record says you are. That's pro sports. This is college football. That's an apples to bowling balls comparison sometimes that people willfully, ignorantly make. Next quote, 13-0 equals 13-0. I think we just addressed that. You are not always what your record says you are. So did Cincinnati's loss completely turn this on its face? Now this is where I'm gonna defend the G5. No. No, Cincinnati losing a football game to Alabama in the same manner that 98% of the rest of the country would, or for all we know, 100%, maybe everyone ends up losing Alabama, they could win a national title tomorrow night. No, Cincinnati, I think, if anything, they validated a lot of what people had said about them on the positive side, and I think they silenced a lot of their critics. The fact of the matter is, Cincinnati didn't perform any more poorly than some of their power five brethren had in a similar situation against Alabama. And secondly, and it would be convenient for me to take this argument knowing my overall stance, so I think I I deserve some credit here when I'm telling you, even me, I'm telling you, you can't be judging, you can't be broad brushing the entirety of the G5 over what Cincinnati did, especially when I've got respect for the product they put on the field. Hey, by the way, Talk to some folks inside the Alabama program or just go listen to Nick Saban's public press conference after the game. They had a lot of respect for Cincinnati. Uh, They looked at Cincinnati and they measured them against, you know, the rest of the schedule they played. I'm not going to give you the exact quote. Just suffice it to say, Cincinnati measured up pretty well, according to Bama, in Bama's opinion, not to the best of the best teams they played, but that next tier below that, Cincinnati a very worthy opponent. But the follow-up to that question was, you know, what can, what's a realistic pathway? Like there you see it on YouTube. What's a realistic pathway for G5 teams to work their way up? My answer here is gonna be a waste of time because my answer is not something that it seems anyone is interested in. Like I am, we are in the JW Marriott in downtown Indianapolis. For the last two days, all the Power Five commissioners, the conference commissioners of the G5 and Power Five have been meeting here. Don't exactly know which room it is they're meeting in maybe behind this big logo behind me, but they've been meeting here behind uh, basically armed security. It's like Fort Knox, except talking about a playoff. And they have been talking about how to best structure an expanded playoff. Now, you know my opinion, but if you don't, I'm gonna give it to you one more time. It is foolish, in my opinion, to pretend that Akron and Alabama play the same caliber of this sport. They play the same sport, feels the same dimensions, the ball weighs the same, it looks the same. This is not the same level of competition. Here's the way I've always asked about it. If I were to go into Major League Baseball, since all you guys want to use pro sports, let me give you a pro sports angle that actually makes sense here. If I were to go into the pro sports realm and I were to say, okay, let's take uh, the NL East, NL Central, NL West, uh, then let's go to the AAA ranks and uh, let's find the best record down there uh, and let's throw them in the postseason. You know why? Because you are what your record says you are, and so you you can argue AAA versus Major League, but what you can't do is you can't argue that record. You would call me ignorant. You should call me ignorant. That's a very ignorant statement. But see, to me, the reason why that's obviously ignorant is because we have the proper designation in baseball. You know that there is pro baseball, so well, not pro baseball. There's Major League Baseball. Then there's AAA, A, AA, double A, single A. And we understand there's a tier system there. In college sports, especially in football, we don't do it for some reason. We just say uh, 130 teams, all in the same category, which is laughable. It, again, it's laughable to pretend that Miami of Ohio and LSU are playing the same sport. But for some reason, in this particular system, we have to pretend that. And so therefore we have to pretend, or some people want to pretend, like a champion that is produced from one conference should have the exact same seat at the table and the exact same amounts of seats at the table as another conference in terms of guarantees. They're called auto bids. I think that's laughable. My format would be to acknowledge the obvious and have a separate G5 playoff. You guys, reco- a lot of you, not all of you, a lot of you recoil at that notion. You ask me to meet you in the middle, then I propose that and you laugh at me. So. That would be my perfect formula. We can't get that. No one's gone for that for so many reasons that I don't have time to get into. And I know that. Uh, That's why I'm not seriously proposing it. But you're asking what would be realistic? To me, that would be more realistic. From Ultra, next up, one player from both Georgia and Alabama no one is talking about that could be a huge factor in this game. I'll give you one for each here since you asked. For Georgia... I think people will talk about George Pickens, so I'm not going to mention George Pickens. I am going to mention Darnell Washington to you. I keep going back to the SEC championship game, and I keep thinking about the two moments that probably stood out the most in terms of offensive production. That's one of them. If you're watching on YouTube, the one we just showed, Darnell Washington going up over Henry Toa Toa in the end zone. Because Darnell Washington's like eight foot three; He's an ogre. Huge. He'd been that way since he was in like 10th grade. I am looking at him. And I'm asking myself, what kind of advantage does Stetson Bennett have? What specific kind of advantage can we give our passing game? If I'm Georgia, if I'm Todd Munkin, if I'm Kirby Smart, I'm looking at Pickens. I'm looking at Darnell Washington specifically here. And I'm looking in plus territory down in the red zone. And I'm asking, if I just throw it up to them, is that a 50-50 ball? Because I don't think it is. With the DB situation at Alabama, specifically the corner situation at Alabama, and the size and physicality of those receivers, you throw it up to them, I don't think that's a 50-50 situation. I think that's about a 75-25 situation. I'd try it. I told you on the show last week I tried about half a dozen times in this game because to me, I can trust those guys enough to where there is minimal risk and disproportionate amounts of reward potentially to be had there. So, Listen, that's on the Georgia side. On the Alabama side of things, I think we, uh, okay, we don't have this question later, so I'll answer it now. One of you asked about my favorite prop bets. My favorite prop bet of the game coincides with the Alabama player that I don't think anyone's talking about. It's Jaleel Billingsley right there, number 19. Jaleel Billingsley, with the absence of John Mechie, and the need, with Georgia bringing more pressure and Georgia putting all kinds of attention on Jamison Williams, the need to have a guy emerge and have a guy step up in this particular game it's like a bright red Sharpie circle around Jaleel Billingsley. I think very, very clearly back to 2015 when Alabama played Clemson, O.J. Howard had been recruited. He five-star tight end, yada, 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 and he had been good. Uh, he had shown flashes, and then he just exploded against Clemson, and all of a sudden he was a star. I'm not calling for 200 yards receiving for Jaleel Billingsley. But, guys, the prop bet there is 16 and a half right now over under 16 and a half receiving yards for Jaleel Billingsley. I personally think that's flying over 16 and a half. I think he's gonna have a few catches, any one of which could take him over the total there. So I'm gonna take Billingsley for Alabama and I will take Darnell Washington, a couple tight ends actually, for Georgia and Alabama respectively. Uh, You know what we need to do? What we need to do is acknowledge our partner that got us here. Our partner being Academy Sports and Outdoors, that got us here. I have had all kinds of different folks approach me on the very streets of the city in which we are in right now asking for Academy gift cards. I've handed some Academy gift cards out this week. I was doing some live hits with Dennis Dodd and Danny Cannell and Barrett Salee today posted a picture. And the first question was, did you get those pants at Academy Sports and Outdoors? I'm not going to say no. I'm not going to say yes, but I'm not going to say no. And if I didn't, uh, shame on me because I could have. Look, you know that we've gone on the Renaissance Tour all year. I have been on the road 16 weeks. This makes week 16. We have been having a blast. So I'm certainly not complaining. I'm asking, let's extend the season. I mean, I'm Ernie Banks you right now. Let's do it twice. But the reason we've been able to do it and the reason we don't have to worry about whether we can get financing or what, what hotel are we going to be able to stay in? Can we get the show on the air? Uh, are we going to have to throw in 14 more ad breaks? The reason why this show does not have to be cluttered up with all that is because of Academy Sports and Outdoors. So not only could you realistically, if you're like me, I think a lot of us are, well, at least from a clothing standpoint, at least from a recreational standpoint, you could go in there and get everything you need. Not only that, they give you academy.com. If you don't even wanna get out and fight the traffic or fight the cold, it was eight degrees when we got here the other night, just hit up academy.com. Not even Academy Sports and Outdoors, just academy.com. Guys, they've got everything you need and they've also got our back. And so if they've got our back, and you are one of us. You're a part of this show. They got your back, too. So, so they've got your back, but they can also put clothing and whatnot on your back. So Academy Sports and Outdoors for essentially everything you can need in life at this point is the motto that we've been going with. All right, let's roll on here from TP. Is Georgia versus Alabama good or bad for college football? Now, I know some of you have different takes on this. I know because you have uh, felt the need to tell me over and over again this week. Look, I am different here, and I'm going to admit this. I'm different on two fronts. I don't particularly care about the logos on the helmets uh, on, and from a purely football standpoint. I want to see the two best teams in the country. I want to see them earn their way there, but I want to end up seeing the two best teams in the country. Now, we've got that. Like, this is the same reason I loved that it was Alabama versus LSU back in 2011. A lot of you didn't like that. You have different reasons than me. You didn't like it because either it was a rematch or you don't feel like same teams from the same conference or division should be able to make it. I have different beliefs on that. So, I mean, I respect yours, you respect mine, or we respect neither's, blah, 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 but we have a difference of opinion there. However, you also know, as I told you the other night, I have a little bias here, because I grew up right on the Chattahoochee River, which divides these two states. So I could not have grown up more perfectly positioned to love this. I mean, I love this. Now, if you're from Montpelier, Vermont, you know, if you're from Casper, Wyoming, you may look and may say, I've never been to either of these states. Uh, these, these brands don't resonate as much out here. I want some West Coast influence or, or I want some Midwest influence. Well, you don't have that. And I get that. And if I were running ESPN, for example, I may look at this and say, boy, I wish Michigan could have got the job done. Or, man, I wish we could have gotten Ohio State in this thing. Yeah, I'd probably think that way. But I don't run ESPN. I don't run a network. I'm not worried about ratings. I'm not worried about uh, market over market scores for this game. I don't really care. What I care about is, am I going to be entertained? Uh, is this going to fulfill my expectation level? Am I going to have a good time? Is it going to be a good product on the field? If you're checking those boxes for me, I'm cool. And obviously, I have the bias here because I grew up in the South. Guys, this is a really big deal back home. I mean, if you know, if you want to live vicariously, live vicariously through someone in uh, Sylvester, Georgia who has grown up just hardcore Georgia fan. You guys don't get it now. If you're not around that rivalry, you don't get what this means. I was talking when we did our live hit today, and I actually said, as crazy as this sounds, I don't know what Georgia fans would be celebrating at the forefront of their brain if they won the game tomorrow. You may say, well, they'd be celebrating a national championship. Yeah, they would. Please do not overlook how critical like how Berlin Wall-ish it would be for them to just beat Alabama. And I don't really care where the game is. This is huge, huge, huge. And so, yes, they'd be celebrating a national championship, but I'll tell you how it very well could go. What it could be is you're celebrating and you're jumping up and down. We beat Nick Saban, we beat Alabama, and then all of a sudden it dawns on you, we just won a national championship in the process. Uh, it's it's a big deal in the South. It is, like I said, it's it's no less than figuratively – the Berlin Wall that is separating Georgia football and so many other programs for that matter, but Georgia football from getting where they want to go. LSU has won a title, even as Saban has been in Alabama. Auburn has won a title, even as Saban has been at Alabama. Georgia hadn't gotten there. It's it's wild to think that Saban is 7-0 and over his last seven against Georgia at Alabama. The only time Georgia beat him was 7 I was actually at that game. It was the first year for Nick Saban. So I I cannot overstate, you would not be able to understand it unless you were there, but hey, the Braves won the World Series for him just a few short months ago. So I, I don't really even know how to make sense of what that place would be like if Georgia won a national title just a few months after the Braves won one. So it's good to me for college football, but I will admit that some of us, you and I somewhat sometimes differ on what good and bad is. Next up from Parker, can you explain to the casuals the Sabin comments today about regulating NIL and how that actually helps the little guy programs? Yes, I can. So I had some preheated heated debates about this today. Nick Sabin today essentially stepped up and he said, I think NIL is good because I think players need to have the ability to capitalize off of their own name and image they should be able to make money off that. Then he said, but it's being used as an actual recruiting tool. And he said, I don't know if that's a good thing because I think it will lead to more imbalance in college football. Now, I'm going to give some of you time to laugh because I know just like those of you who heard it in real time today, I know what a lot of responses are to that. I, I knew it was very predictable. A lot of people were going to say, oh, really? Nick Saban, who's leading the most powerful program in the history of this sport is about to school us on how NIL, a change to the sport, is going to create imbalance. No, it's already imbalanced. Now, that was your reaction initially. Now, you're right. There is imbalance in this sport. I think the debate that we often have is, does that mean the sport's broken or are you just witnessing greatness? Because it is my opinion, if I did nothing more than remove Nick Saban from college football, all of a sudden, a whole heck of a lot more balance would have mysteriously re entered the room. I mean, it, it wouldn't be like towels all of a sudden on equal footing with Clemson. That's not what it would be. But you know exactly what I mean about that playoff picture. But what Nick Saban's doing, again, whether you want to believe it or not, is he's not making a statement so much as he is issuing a warning. Done this several times. He's got an established track record at doing it. What he's telling you is not there isn't already imbalance in college football. What he really said today in much nicer terms is, if you think it's bad now, trust me, I can make it a whole lot worse. And they can make it a whole lot worse. If you honestly think that the University of Alabama and the handful of other elite programs with with endless resources in college football, if you think once we calibrate this system and everyone gets their bearings about them, they are going to be brought down to size by something like NIL, something where money at the end of the day, let's be real, is really driving the bus, you're, you're insane. It's just wishful thinking, just like your expanded playoff. I know what you wish it would do. Now it won't, I'm fully confident in telling you it won't, just like I'm fully confident in telling you there is no edge that Louisville will get over Alabama because of NIL, you can choose to believe it, you'll learn the hard way. So his comments today, uh, again, when he said, I- I'm all for NIL, as am I for the record, but it was like we talked about the other day. It was like the uncle walked in, or in this case, the NCAA, and gave the kids candy canes and Red Bull, or said, we are gonna have NIL, and then they just leave. You can't do that. If if you wanna give the kid a piece of candy, make it at 10 a.m., okay? And then wear them out, let him run around in the backyard with the dog for a little while. But the NCAA didn't do that. And what Nick Saban is saying is, need some guardrails here, need some safeguards, cause I don't want to, but I will weaponize this to my advantage. And yes, he will weaponize it to his advantage. So I'm I'm kind of trying to convince uh, people I know who watch this, please heed this. Please take advantage of the grace period you have right now before everyone fully gets a hold of this thing and all of a sudden NIL looks no different than recruiting rankings do. Next up, uh, eight. Well, this is two part special here. This is about our trip. So Dapper Dog wants to no longer wait. Fans waiting on Kirby to beat Saban or the wait at St. Elmo's. And then uh, Dylan wanted to know, rate that St. Elmo's shrimp cocktail. So the first answer, I got a little story for you here. Cannot give you my source. We did not have a wait at St. Elmo's. I had a a hookup. We got a reservation. But here's what's funny. Certain members of a certain high-profile team that is in town right now to play in a national championship could not get a seat at St. Elmo's. Apparently, they don't run in the right circles like we do. So calls were made, names and weight were thrown around, and they still couldn't get a seat. So I have it on good authority. A certain superstar quarterback who used to play football in this town at a very high level had to make a few calls himself to get certain people, certain seats at that certain establishment that your boy and company had no problem getting a seat at know the right people is the moral of the story. And the second thing you need to know is if you are sensitive to any kind of spice, if you don't really handle hot things, well, just skip the shrimp cocktail. It's not the shrimp cocktail that gets you, it's the horseradish sauce, the, the finest horseradish sauce on the planet they have right down the street here at St. Elmo. So I got warned multiple got times, it. but I go in and I I look at it and I say, there's, there's no way, like this, This is going to take me down. And so I look at it and I watch a couple of people eat it and they look like they're having a hard time. And so I say, you know what? I'm going for it. We've already come this far. I've ordered it. We're going this far. We're going to, we're we're going to finish the drill here. And so I ate it. I've never had it before. A lot of you had had it before. And you told me about it. It was like, you get attacked. It wasn't like, you know, let me put a cracker in my mouth. Let me drink some milk. Wasn't like that at all. Uh, you kind of lose control of your senses for a second. That's the bad news. You look like an idiot. Your sinuses start releasing. It's really, it's a bad look. If you're in a Burger King, it's a bad look, much less a high class steak joint. But then the follow-up is it goes away. After like 15 seconds, it's gone. And that's really, really where the hubris works its way into the equation because then you think, I must have worked my way through it. And then you go back for a double dip and then you're even worse off. So... I'm not so sure that uh, when I go back there I'm not so sure I won't just overlook trip cocktail entirely but I will say this look Saint Omos gets a lot of run around here as it should but I got to give a shout out to our friends that we made last night over at prime 47 I will I'm certainly not downing Saint Omos whatsoever I'm just telling you best meal I've had since I've been in town has been over at prime 47 out a 12 ounce fillet last night which we hard tea in Harris County 12 ounce fillet. Oh, it's like if you just touch it with the knife, it just just flies open for you. It was great. Oh, it was wonderful. Um, so it's been a good trip here so far. We've really enjoyed it. They have they have gone out of their way here, knowing that they can't control the weather outside. The city of Indianapolis and the entire organizing committee that is running this game—they've gone out of their way to take care of us. We, I mean, we're not supposed to be here right now. This entire building's closed down, and they went out of their way to. Cordon this entire place off. We got security uh, out our back here watching us. And so we've been taken care of. We really appreciate it. Look at that. Look at that freeze frame that we froze on there. That's terrible. Listen on podcast so you avoid all that. But we're looking very, very, very forward to tomorrow. We're going to be on CBS Sports HQ all day. We will have hits from both here as well as across the street at the stadium. And that all leads up, obviously, to the national championship game tomorrow night. Then we'll be back in Nashville Tuesday with full reaction. Listen, 16th week on the road and we made it every time. We've had a lot of fun. I can't wait to get into the latter portion of January where we can start telling some stories because I've got on the iJosh here, I've got a file where I just have note after note after note and observation after observation about what I've seen on the road with the month of February and late January in mind because... going to have some stories, really good stories. So thank you guys so much for making this possible. Can't wait to see some of you across the street tomorrow. Can't wait for a lot more of you to see what we get access to and what we can show you on Twitter and Instagram at Lake Kick Josh. Make sure you're following from me and our entire crew back in Nashville to you. Take care. Enjoy the game tomorrow night. God bless. And we will talk to you Tuesday.